Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. We have a fantastic guest today, Patrick Beggs. He's a narrative strategist who helps organizations find and define their voice through effective narrative strategy, message development, campaign planning, content development, and delivery. Patrick also founded Per Production to empower people to discover their own stories, as well as the stories of other people. This has increased people's sense of belonging, cohesion, and inclusion by creating media that strengthens culture and shares that culture with the world. Hey, welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Patrick. So Patrick, as a visionary, what is the story that you want to bring to the world? The story we want to bring to the world is a story of inclusion. Um, we work with organizations um, to help define their story community. So we go in and, and offer a service where we um, talk to people, talk to their organization, talk to the stakeholders, and get a sense of who they are from an individual's perspective, and then collate that individual perspective into a whole we call that the story community. Um, and then from there, build out um, a story of culture that they want to share with the world that not only strengthens their sense of belonging within that, um, but also strengthens what they offer, I suppose, as an organization. That's awesome. So can you give us a, a few examples of uh, stories that, that you share with people and how, and how that's uh, helped the world? Um, yeah. I'd like to think it has helped the world. Like it's a big question in terms of where it has. I'd like to think it'll help a lot of people's small world, so their own world. Um, one example is um, we're all well, I'm based in um, Victoria, right near Melbourne, so in Australia. I uh, just worked with an urban farm and an urban farm in the city that sprung up 40 years ago. It's on a piece of land that's the oldest continued farmed land in um, Victoria. And, but they were celebrating their 40 years, so they got um, I suppose, caretaker roles of that land 40 years ago. And it sprung from when social work really started to take roots here in, in Victoria. Um, some of the first social workers sharing a desk with um, the bookkeeper at the time. Um, and we went in there to really define what that story was. There was a new management at the time and they wanted to understand um, what this place meant for so many people because it's a community space, it's a non-for-profit. And so a lot of the time we would be getting pulled in different directions. Um, and it was our job to just go in there and listen to begin with and just understand um, what it was and what it meant to so many people. And we came out with, uh, I think it was like 65 people's um, individual interviews um, with ourselves. We collated that, transcribed that, um, had all the soft data. And then from there, um, yeah, produced a story, a narrative um, that spoke to the Wurundjeri, which is the First Nation um, custodians of that land there. Then we spoke to the nuns who were a convent there um, that formed. And then we spoke to a lot of uh, the people who have helped shape the Collingwood Children's Farm into what it is. Wow, that's fantastic. How, how did you get like inspired to do this type of work? I've just always been involved. I, um, I went to university and I studied history um, and just stumbled my way through history. There was a history class that really opened my eyes into the multiplex of perspective and what history really is and that was the history of history 
And that really resonated with me and just understanding what lens you take, how you frame a certain thing is obviously how you're going to view the world and trying to understand that there's many views of the world, but how to sort of give that space. And I suppose give a lot of people who haven't had space or new perspectives, um, areas to breathe where they might've not had breathe. And that's why I've got into media because it's a, space where I feel like I can try and craft a story and narrative and, and give that, um, that story a space to breathe. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, you know, obviously we're here about having people share their stories, but you know, I, I found it fascinating because I didn't like learn that lesson until I went to business school that everyone kind of looks, you know, you look at the same thing. We all look at it kind of differently based on our own like experience, environment, all that kind of stuff. And I hate to say it, we seem to think like, well, I expect everyone to think and behave like I do. And it's kind of hard to step out of the, your own shoes sometimes to see how other people view something. It is. And it's so important, um, yeah, to have a cohesive community to understand and allow multi um, perspectives to exist, coexist. It's a healthy ecosystem, um, healthy community, if you can allow that to happen. Um, so, yeah, if we, can, if we can make that happen in, in the work we do, that's great. But, um, it reminds me, uh, I don't know if you've read the book, People's History of the United States. Um, so they mentioned it, uh, there's a film, Google Hunting. And if you might remember, Matt Damon's in the bar and he's talking to that blowhard and the, the guy's mouthing off all these different facts. And he's like, well, if you really want to read a good book, you should read People's History of the United States. And it tells the perspective of how this country was founded. And it looks at the, the poor people, the disenfranchised people, the people of color, because that story isn't often told in classrooms. And so that was a, a revelation uh, for me to hear that, I mean, to read that. And also, um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Rashomon, uh, older movie, but what they do is they take a, a, an incident that happens in Japan and they tell it through the lens of the different stakeholders and each person thinks it happened a different way. So going back to storytelling, thinking about each one of us has a different perspective and it depends on you know, your perspective as to the narrative and to what happened. And we know that you can definitely change people's behavior based on the narrative that you put out there, which is obviously the reason for the show. And I wondered uh, what your thoughts were about that. Yeah, my thoughts, I think from that perspective, I think even having your story listened to, having your perspective listened to from our background and work is, is part of the action. I think it's a powerful act to have your story heard, even if it's one-on-one, -on -one, often is a little bit more powerful I suppose on social media, you, you justify if your story's heard or your opinion's heard from how many likes or how many views. Um, but a one-on-one -on -one or even a survey where you get um, defined feedback is an important aspect. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question quite correctly, but I think if your story can be heard or felt to be heard, it's a powerful thing. Um, and defining the story and choosing what stories to listen to is, is a, on a personal level, a big thing in terms of you sort of are what you listen to, you are the stories that, that you tell for the future. So it's, it's, it's a tightrope to walk between what narrative you consume and what narrative you project into the future. Um, and, and it's to understand that, I think. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question as, as well as I should be there, Michael, but um, yeah, be careful what you eat. <laughs> well, I definitely, I definitely agree with what you're saying in terms of you are the stories that you consume very much so, whether that be the, the movies you watch, the TV shows you watch, the books you read. So I, I, complete, I mean, that, def, that definitely did answer my question, but uh, that, that, that is interesting what, what you said there. Yeah, for okay. sure. 
like I believe everyone's got a story to tell, Patrick, right? But it's hard sometimes to know what the story is or find a great way to tell it. I mean, how, how does someone do that? Like, if you know, listen. listen? Listening is key. Like, it depends what story you want to tell. I suppose an intention is also important. Understanding. So from our perspective, it would be chatting to the organisation, understanding the organisation, what it is, maybe where they want to go forward, how they want to do it. So looking at story as a vehicle in that sense, um, if it's an organisational thing, what benefits can that, that story be doing for that organisation? Um, who are the voices that you want to include in that and, and why and why is that? What are the perspectives? Because, yes, there's a multidiscipline. Like you can tell as many perspectives on one thing as possible, but why are you saying a certain amount? if you're going to share that story to the world or how you're going to do that and what that means, what it represents, what it signals. Um, so that's where the strategy part comes in. It comes into the intention. But from my perspective, what I like about telling a story is getting all those details down and then listening and really listening and listening deep and understanding what it is that you're trying to tell and then finding the little nuances when you're crafting that story. Um, and then things start to thread together. It's, when it's done right, it gets a bit magic. When it's done wrong, it gets pretty methodical. Right. Well, so this this show is obviously produced out of the U.S., and we're familiar with many of the stories that are occurring here. Most of our audience are based in, in the U.S. for the most part, but there are a lot of people around the world. And the beauty, the beauty of Zoom and the Internet in general is that we can connect with people all over the world. And actually, that's how we met you through LinkedIn. And so uh, for people that may not know in the U.S. or even other countries, what are some of the things that are occurring right now in Australia? stories that perhaps people aren't aware of that you'd like to share, uh, people in, the, in this country? Well, it's funny you say that, Michael. Um, it's, uh, what's happening in the United States always seems to affect us here. Um, I think our politicians are continuously trying to align themselves or justify their positioning in accordance to the United States. But socially, um, NADOC week is happening here in, in Australia, which is um, Aboriginal and Islander communities um, back in the 1920s came together to really define who they were because obviously Australia was colonised on terra nullis, which means um, the colonial powers of B claimed that Indigenous people, Aboriginal people here were just part of flora and fauna. And in the 1920s, history tells that people started to fight back on that and fight back on that on Australia Day, which is um, a terrible term. People call it Invasion Day. It was when the first fleets landed here um, from, from England. Um, and they started to protest about that and start to claim uh, back a bit of agency within an imposed system. So right now there's some beautiful stories going around, but it's really some hard stories because there's hard truths within that story. And that is um, our Aboriginal Australians here are some of the most incarcerated people on the planet. So there's a lot of awareness coming to the fore, like in floods at the moment, and people are trying to understand how to sustain um, and enact long-term change. So that's the biggest story that's happening right now. And then obviously we've just had the bushfires that have happened here um, in Australia, which was pretty huge. And that's um, a climate change story. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, um, but it's it's one that you need to yeah, figure out where to focus on and, and change. We just had a, a story um, near where I live. It's called Yarns About Country in a Climate of Change, and it's trying to tie it all together. So it's trying to use, um, we speak with Uncle Mick, 
um, Uncle Nichols, Uncle Mick, and we talk about um, everyone has to be, it's time for everyone to be a custodian of land and custodian of the land, what that means for someone who isn't an Aboriginal Australian, what it means to take care and what is a custodian of land and rather than an owner of a land and trying to um, hand over responsibility and, and allow it open for, for everyone to really help change the environment and take care of the environment. Um, so that was a really powerful story to be part of. And I think it blends those two big narratives that are happening here in Australia and the world. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that. I, I remember hearing about the fires and that was huge um, in the fall and in the winter. And then, of course, with everything that's going on right now, it just kind of got pushed off the news cycle. So it's, it's uh, you know, I think a lot of people in this country aren't thinking about that at this moment. How are things going there with um, what, what occurred? Um, I think for a lot of the people where it has happened, it's been really hard because obviously COVID is well and truly here. Australia's been relatively lucky in terms of um, fighting it off happening in, in mass here. There hasn't been too many infections or too many cases, um, but obviously it's affected those communities where fires have already raged havoc, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's been really hard. It's hard for people to connect out there. The borders are only slowly opening so local tourism can start happening again um, and stories can start arising from there because it's obviously, yeah, it's a, it's a fight for space in a lot of times and it's a, spite, it's a fight for people's attention, which is a horrible way to put it, but it's, it's the truth in a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Australia and you know, it, it's interesting. I wonder, you know, sometimes the, the power of stories, especially on like climate change and all that, because I was actually there during the bushfires, um, because people live with the pain, so to speak, every day, right? You feel the impact, you really do feel it, that you see people more engaged in trying to do things about it. Like, you know, you people go like five minute showers, we gotta get to four minute showers, right? We gotta, we gotta think about, you know, green, you know, metro system and all these things. And, you know, like I live in California and, you know, we're supposed to be very advanced thinking and, you know, a lot of people believe in climate change, but the will to do something is different. And I, and I feel like we don't have a good story in part that we don't necessarily feel the pain every day. And so we kind of lack that as a motivation factor. Is, is that like some, a real observation I have? I mean, is, is that kind of pain, pain point a driver for the power of your story? Or is that you just have to dig deep inside yourself to find that powerful story? It's, it's a powerful point right now. And the danger is um, the news cycle that we have, it's continuously finding the next major drama happening. Um, so to use that PowerPoint and to continually sustain a driving force to carry that narrative into something positive and affecting long-term change is yet to be determined. I think when summer comes around, for sure, um, heat waves in Australia are a huge thing. Um, and rain, yeah, we depend on rain. We produce a lot of food. Um, so we're sustaining in that way, but we're also not producing the right foods. So there's a lot of education to be done. But I think you're right, there's a lot of positives here. A lot of people do feel the effects directly. Um, and can look up at the sky and understand, um, especially this summer when everyone, nearly everyone in Australia felt the effects of smoke. People are, a lot of people close to us felt the effects of the smoke. So I hope you're right, Neil. I hope it drives us forward. It's, we're definitely in a good 
place now um, to redefine our future and tell the future of where we want to head. And I think that is a renewable future. And I think if we can really harness a lot of things that are happening right now and understand where we want to be in the future and what that means um, as a country as a whole, as a community as a whole, it's got a powerful cause and it could have a powerful effect. Uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> well, I agree with what you're saying there, uh, Neil, the fact that, you know, if you're dealing with the pain, well, both of you are saying it really, if you're dealing with the pain, you're more inclined to give your attention to something. But, and that's been the, historically the problem with climate change that is such a slow moving threat that the, the, uh, the daily life that we have to live, all the problems and immediate challenges kind of overshadow it. Uh, and so that is a problem for telling that story because it's just it's it goes on for so long, and so people aren't seeing it. But of course, when the fires rage and other uh, horrible catastrophes, we do get more engaged. But going back to what you said uh, along the same lines, you talk about you know the fight for attention. I was wondering if if you had any thoughts about how to get people's attention. We we know we have a very attention based economy, right? Especially when it comes to social media. As a, as an expert in storytelling. Is there a good way that you can think of to get people's attention in a good way where it doesn't always have to be about doom and gloom or pain? How can we get people's attention, get them to care, but in a positive manner? I think involvement, and that comes back to story community. If you can involve the community, if you can involve the listener, the observer, the person who's giving their attention to feel part of, then that is and a part of a positive, then that is a real strong strength. And if you have a part of moving forward or a direction that you want to take, then I think that is really strong. I'll, I'll tell you an example. We were sitting down, um, Joe Rogers and myself do a little podcast and it's called um, BAU, um, Business As Unusual. And we were chatting to Beck Scott, who's a social entrepreneur. And she started uh, a space called Street where kids who live on the street um, come in for a six month period and work in a cafe um, work in a bakery and they've created over I think it's 10 years now into a really thriving space so in Melbourne they have over six cafes and so they did a study where they um, sat down and asked their customers in the morning they were like all right how many all right this coffee is giving x amount of minutes or to one kid who's off the street how does that make you feel and the person having that coffee is like oh I don't really that feels insignificant. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, all right, how about if we gave you the data on how many people in this cafe right now have contributed to um, so many children being able to be educated per hour? And they were, like, they were like, oh yeah, that sounds a lot better. And then they were like, how about we told you that we have six other cafes and if we calculated all of that together, how would you feel about now you have that coffee and you've contributed to this? And everyone exponentially said, wow, I'd love to know that, that makes me feel great. And so that just says to me, if you can include the listener, the observer into being part of the story and part of the change, then I think that's where your power lies. I think that's huge because my mantra is like, small things add up, right? You talk about whether it's climate change or cleaning up plastic or anything, you know, the, you know getting access to healthcare. It, there's such big things. People are like, how am I as one person gonna move the needle? It's like, you, you don't even do it by yourself. We all are willing to do some small things to, that as an aggregate has a huge impact. That's how we move the needle. That's actually a great way. I think that's a great way to frame the narrative and actually tell that story. I think if more people realize that, Patrick, uh, more people will be actually motivated to do something. Like even adopt a, 
a house plant or you know what carry a reusable non-plastic water bottle for sure and i think uh it's interesting their use of uh aggregating that one simple act was is really effective and if you go to their website you can actually they've got now uh like a like a tick moving how many minutes they've given education and um allowing customers or um, supporters to really feel the effect of their oh, action. Nice. So it sounds like you're changing the incentives, right? And so we're used to think about things in terms of monetary, right? Or I mean, mostly it is monetary, but it sounds like you are bringing other stakeholders in and getting them invested because people want more than just money. They want to know that they're, even if it is money, they want to know this doing social good. Is, is that accurate? Well, yeah, for sure. And just understanding that in a consumeristic society, the only way you can change, you can sit on the fence and say, this company's doing this, this is that, you're still maybe buying petrol, you're still doing this. Mm. And so just taking onus for your decisions and they're simple decisions, um, but they're powerful decisions. When, as Neil's saying, aggregated over time, even what you eat one day a week, uh, or what you eat every meal, aggregated over 80 years, that's, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your family, if you're cooking for a family, same for times four times, however many in your family. Uh, it, it um, so yeah, changing that incentive, the way you interact, transact and using a system that we have now, I suppose, to utilize change and make people feel part of something bigger, but also empowered to change and not feel overwhelmed. How do, how do we, so how do we do more of this? Like, how do we get, make people feel like they're, they're part of something? I mean, is that them framing their story, hearing other people's stories, combinations, other things. I mean, I feel like this is, we're under something really powerful right here. How do we do it? You need, I suppose, a lot of social enterprises, if they can focus um, and harness, there's a lot of brands and businesses that are, I suppose, benefiting this. Some maybe not for the good, some for the good. Um, and that's sort of changing company culture, organizational culture, which then changes um, customer culture around who they support, what they support. So I suppose putting your money where your mouth is and being able to start small and grow, I think, and grow sustainably is, is, is key. So as you say, Neil, start small and grow, but also as an organization, if you're a big organization listening out there, just think about something small you can even change and see that change and what effect that has in your organization and then grow from that. It doesn't have to be big. I've also heard that really, if you want people to do something, it does require pressure and often societal pressure. Um, we're experiencing that in our country right now when it comes to the protests, right? It, it reached a boiling point and then people push back and we'll, time will tell uh, what systemic changes occur based on the protests that are occurring in this country right now. But I think um, we can talk about the things that we want to happen and we have all these ideas out there. But how can you, in a positive fashion, exert that kind of pressure to get action to occur? Well, if I find the answers to that, <laughs> the world would be a different place, I think. Um, on a large scale, like say on an American scale, that is that's a huge, a huge question, Michael. Um, I wish I had the answers for that. Um, I really feel observing from here in Australia, um, it seems from my standpoint, there's a lot of different fractions and a lot of different, like your states, from my understanding politically, all have different rules and jurisdictions around their 
um, that impact on, and every community is quite different there, but in terms of having a uniform narrative to maybe drive systemic change, um, I think it's coming and I feel like this is a, a culmination of that and, and, and really showing maybe where the country's at. Uh, and hopefully things can change for you guys. It looks, it looks very serious, but it's been very serious for a lot of people's lives over there for a long time. Right. Um, I don't have the answers how to, how to get out. Um, but I, I feel like, yeah, once again, um, just listening to people who, who deserve to be heard is, is a good place to start. Sure. Sure. I think, and that, I think that's the powerful message you're really sharing, Patrick, in that, if you want to figure out the right narrative and, you know, making changes, it actually starts by listening. Mm -hmm. And I think this is probably one reason why things are different this time with like the, you know, the pushback on police brutality, some of the discriminatory behaviors. It's not like all policemen are bad, but it's just happened so often. And you look at the people out there that are protesting peacefully, right? Most people are protesting peacefully. It's a quite a mix, right? Just, age, gender, ethnicity, all these things, even, you know, political party. And it, it looks like if they can get, you know, I think people know the problem and if they can get a good narrative, good story, it'll really become a movement to enact change. Sure. Um, and if they could take a model similar to uh, maybe straight in a way to really say, put it towards, it's hard because it's coming from a governmental level, but how to put it in a community level and take that power back and give that power to the community to, to change um, and make a simple action feel like aggregation, feel like it's part of something bigger. Um, that's where power lies, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. So as a, as a fellow storyteller, if you could have your wish, let's say it's five or 10 years from now and the work that you're doing in the storytelling space, what does the world look like because of the stories that you're involved in that you're telling? How is it better? How is it better? I think a lot more people would feel a sense of inclusion to um, define their future and to dream of different futures, um, to look up from today, from yesterday and, and really project forward into envisaging positive futures, not negative ones, but to really allow themselves the space to dream of what can be. Um, that would be, that would be yeah, a big dream of mine. Awesome. Well, if people, organizations need help doing this or learn more about you or, you know, just follow what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can head to perproduction.org. Um, that's the business that I run. Um, and find out a bit about us there. Um, follow myself on LinkedIn. I'm Patrick Beeks. Um, you can see my curly hair in the DP. Um, and, and that's about it at the moment. I, I try and keep a little bit quiet on the socials um, just to focus energy at the moment. Um, but yeah, keep, keep it locked there and see what, see what happens. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. This has been fantastic. Thank you so Pleasure. much. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.